Section 20, Volume 5 of The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night. Translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night. Volume 5, Section 20. When it was the four hundred and thirty-third night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the king and the wazir and his son ceased not to dwell in all solace and in the greatest happiness a while, till the king fell ill and his sickness grew on him. So he summoned the lords of his realm and said to them, There is come upon me a sore malady, peradventure a mortal, and I have therefore summoned you to consult you respecting a certain matter, on which I would have you counsel me as you deem well. They asked, What is the matter of which thou wouldst take counsel with us, O king? And he answered, I am old and sickly, and I fear for the realm after me from its enemies. So I would have you all agree upon some one that I may proclaim him king in my lifetime, and so ye may be at ease. Whereupon quoth they with one voice, We all approve of thy daughter's husband, Hassan, son of the wazir Ali. For we have seen his wit and perfect understanding, and he knoweth the place of all, great and small. Asked the king, Are ye indeed agreed upon this? And they answered, Yes. Rejoined he, Peradventure ye all say this to my face, of respect for me, but behind my back ye will say otherwise. However, they all replied, By Allah, our word is one and the same in public and in private and we accept him frankly and with hardiness of heart and breath of breast. Quoth he, Since the case is thus, bring the kazi of the holy law and all the chamberlains and viceroys and officers of state before me to-morrow, and we will order the affair after the goodliest fashion. We hear and obey, answered they, and withdrawing, notified all the olima, the doctors of the law, and the chief personages among the emirs. So when the morrow dawned, they came up to the divan, and having craved and obtained permission to enter, they saluted the king, saying, Here are we all in thy presence. Whereto he made reply, O emirs of Baghdad, whom will ye have to be king over you after me, that I may inaugurate him during my lifetime before the presence of you all? Quoth they with one voice, We are agreed upon thy daughter's husband Hassan, son of the wazir Ali. Quoth he, If it be so, go all of you, and bring him before me. So they all arose, and repairing to Hassan's palace, said to him, Rise, come with us to the king. Wherefore? asked he, and they answered, For a thing that will benefit both us and thee. So he went in with them to the king, and kissed the ground before his father-in-law, who said to him, Be seated, O my son. He sat down, and the king continued, O Hassan, all the emirs have approved of thee, and agreed to make thee king over them after me. And it is my purpose to proclaim thee, whilst I yet live, and so make an end of the business. But Hassan stood up, and kissing the ground once more before the king, said to him, O our lord, among the emirs there are many who are older than I, and greater of worth. Acquit me, therefore, of this thing. But all the emirs cried out, saying, we consent not but that thou be king over us. Then said Hassan, My father is older than I, 
and I and he are one thing, and it befits not to advance me over him. But Ali said, I will consent to nothing save whatso contenteth my brethren, and they have all chosen and agreed upon thee. Wherefore gainsay thou not the king's commandment and that of thy brethren. And Hassan hung his head abashed before the king and his father. Then said the king to the emirs, Do ye all accept of him? We do, answered they, and recited thereupon seven fatihas. So the king said, O Kazi, draw up a legal instrument testifying of these emirs that they are agreed to make king over them my daughter's husband Hassan. The Kazi wrote the act and made it binding on all men, after they had sworn in a body the oath of fealty to Hassan. Then the king did likewise and bade him take his seat on the throne of kingship, whereupon they all arose and kissed King Hassan's hands and did homage to him and swore lealty to him. And the new king dispensed justice among the people that day in a fashion right royal and invested the grandees of the realm in splendid robes of honor. When the divan broke up, he went in to and kissed the hands of his father-in-law, who spake thus to him, O my son, look thou rule the lieges in the fear of Allah. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the four hundred and thirty-fourth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when King Hassan was quit of the divan, he went into and kissed the hands of his wife's father, who spake thus to him, O my son, look thou rule the lieges in the fear of Allah, whereto he replied, O my father, through thy prayers for me, the grace and guidance of Allah will come to me. Then he entered his own palace and was met by his wife and her mother and their attendants, who kissed his hands and gave him joy of his advancement, saying, Be this day blessed. Next he went in to his father and mother, who joyed with exceeding joy in that which Allah had vouchsafed him of his advancement to the kingship, and his father charged him to fear Allah and to deal mercifully with his subjects. He passed the night in glee and gladness, and on the morrow, having prayed the obligatory prayers ending with the usual short chapters of the Quran, he went up to the divan, whither came all his officers and dignitaries. He passed the day in dispensing justice among the folk, bidding to graciousness and forbidding ungraciousness, and appointing to place and displacing till day end, when the divan broke up after the goodliest fashion, and all the troops withdrew, and each went his own way. Then he arose and repaired to the palace, where he found his father-in-law's sickness grown heavy upon him, and said to him, May no ill befall thee. At this the old king opened his eyes and said, O Hassan, and he replied, At thy service, O my lord. Quoth the old king, Mine appointed hour is at hand. Be thou careful of thy wife and her mother, and look thou fear Allah and honor thy parents, and bide in awe of the majesty of the requiting king, and bear in mind that he commandeth justice and good works. And king Hassan replied, I hear and obey. Now after this the old king lingered three days and then departed into the mercy of Almighty Allah. So they laid him out and shrouded and buried him and held over him readings and perlections of the Quran to the end of the customary forty days. 
And King Hassan, son of the Wazir, reigned in his stead, and his subjects joyed in him, and all his days were gladness. Moreover, his father ceased not to be his chief Wazir on his right hand, and he took to himself another Wazir to be at his left hand. His reign was a prosperous and well-ordered, and he lived a long life as King of Baghdad, and Allah blessed him by the old king's daughter with three sons who inherited the kingdom after him. And they abode in the solace of life and its pleasures till there came to them the destroyer of delights and the severer of societies. And the glory be to him who is eternal and in whose hand are annulling and confirming. And of the tales they tell is one of The Pilgrim Man and the Old Woman a man of the pilgrims once slept a long sleep, and awaking, found no trace of the caravan. So he rose up and walked on, but lost his way, and presently came to a tent where he saw an old woman standing at the entrance, and by her side a dog asleep. He went up to the tent, and saluting the old woman, sought of her food, when she replied, Go to yonder weighty, and catch thy sufficiency of serpents, that I may broil of them for thee, and give thee to eat. Rejoined the pilgrim, I dare not catch serpents, nor did I ever eat them. Quoth the old woman, I will go with thee, and catch some, fear not. So she went with him, followed by the dog, to the valley, and catching a sufficient number of serpents, proceeded to broil them. He saw nothing for it, saith the storyteller, but to eat, in fear of hunger and exhaustion. So he ate of the serpents. Then he was athirst, and asked for water to drink, and she answered, Go to the spring and drink. Accordingly he went to the spring, and found the water thereof bitter, yet needs must he drink of it despite its bitterness, because of the violence of his thirst. Presently he returned to the old woman, and said to her, I marvel, O ancient dame, at thy choosing to sojourn in this place. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the four hundred and thirty-fifth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the palmer man drank the bitter draught for stress of thirst, he returned and said, I marvel, O ancient dame, at thy choosing to sojourn in this place, and thy putting up with such meat and drink. She asked, And how is it then in thy country? Whereto, he answered, In my country are houses wide and spacious, and fruits ripe and delicious, and waters sweet, and beyond savours, and of goodly use, and meats fat and full of juice, and flocks innumerous, and all things pleasant, and all the goods of life, the like whereof are not, save in the paradise which Allah the Omnipotent hath promised to his servants pious. Replied she, All this have I heard, but tell me, have ye a sultan who ruleth over you, and is tyrannical in his rule, and under whose hand you are, one who, if any of you commit an offence, taketh his goods, and ruineth him, and who, when as he will, turneth you out of house and home, and uprooteth you stock and branch? Replied the man, Indeed that may be. And she replied, If so, by Allah, these your delicious food, and life of daintyhood and gifts, however good, with tyranny and oppression, are but a searching poison while our coarse meat, which in freedom and safety we eat, is a healthful medicine. 
Hast thou not heard that the best of boons, after all Islam, the true fatah, are sanity and security? Now such boons, quoth he who telleth the tale, may be by the just rule of the sultan, vice-regent of Allah on his earth, and the goodness of his polity. The sultan of time past needed but little awfulness, for when the lieges saw him, they feared him. But the sultan of these days hath need of the most accomplished polity and the utmost majesty, because men are not as men of bygone time, and this our age is one of folk opprobrious, and is greatly calamitous, noted for folly and hardness of heart, and inclined to hate and enmity. If, therefore, the sultan, which Almighty Allah forfend, be weak or wanting in polity and majesty, this will be the assured cause of his country's ruin. Quoth the proverb, An hundred years of the sultan's tyranny, but not one year of the people's tyranny one over other. When the lieges oppress one another, Allah setteth over them a tyrannical sultan and a terrible king. Thus it is told in history that one day there was sent to Al-Hajjaj bin Yusuf a slip of paper whereon was written, Fear Allah and oppress not his servants with all manner of oppression. When he read this, he mounted the pulpit, for he was eloquent and ever ready of speech, and said, O folk, Allah Almighty hath made me ruler over you by reason of your frowardness. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the four hundred and thirty-sixth night, she said, it hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when Hajjaj Yusuf's son read the paper, he mounted the pulpit and said, O folk, Allah Almighty hath made me ruler over you by reason of your frowardness, and indeed, though I die, yet will ye not be delivered from oppression with these your ill deeds. For the Almighty hath created like unto me many and one. If it be not I, twill be one more mischievous than I, and a mightier in oppression, and a more merciless in his majesty. Even as saith the poet, For not a deed the hand can try, save neath the hand of God on high, nor tyrant harsh work tyranny, uncrushed by tyrant harsh as he. Tyranny is feared, but justice is the best of all things. We beg Allah to better our case. And among tales is that of Abu al-Husan and his slave girl, Tawadud. There was once in Baghdad a man of consequence and rich in monies and immovables, who was one of the chiefs of the merchants. And Allah had largely endowed him with worldly goods, but had not vouchsafed him what he longed for of offspring. And there was passed over him a long space of time, without his being blessed with issue, male or female. His years waxed great, his bones became wasted, and his back bent. Weakness and weariness grew upon him, and he feared the loss of his wealth and possessions, seeing he had no child whom he might make his heir, and by whom his name should be remembered. So he betook himself with supplication to Almighty Allah, fasting by day and praying through the night. Moreover, he vowed many vows to the living, the eternal, and visited the pious, and was constant in supplication to the most highest, till he gave ear to him, and accepted his prayer, and took pity on his straining, 
and complaining, so that before many days were passed, he knew carnally one of his women, and she conceived by him the same night. In due time, she finished her months, and casting her burden, bore a male child, as he were a slice of the moon, whereupon the merchant fulfilled his vows in his gratitude to Allah, to whom be honor and glory, and gave alms and clothed the widow and the orphan. On the seventh night after the boy's birth, he named him Abu al-Husan, and the wet nurses suckled him, and the dry nurses dandled him, and the servants and the slaves carried him and handled him, till he shot up and grew tall and throve greatly and learnt the sublime Quran and the ordinances of all Islam and the canons of the true faith, and calligraphy and poetry and mathematics and archery. On this wise he became the union pearl of his age and the goodliest of the folk of his time and his day, fair of face and of tongue, fluent, carrying himself with a light and graceful gait and glorying in his stature proportionate and amorous graces which were to many a bait, and his cheeks were red, and flower-white was his forehead, and his side-face waxed brown with tender down, even as saith one describing him, The spring of the down on cheeks right clearly shows, and how, when the spring is gone, shall last the rose. Dost thou not see that the growth upon his cheek is violet bloom that from its leaves outgrows? He abode a while in ease and happiness with his father, who rejoiced and delighted in him, till he came to man's estate, when the merchant one day made him sit down before him, and said, O my son, the appointed term draweth near, my hour of death is at hand, and it remaineth but to meet Allah, to whom belong majesty and might. I leave thee what shall suffice thee, even to thy son's son, of monies and mansions, farms and gardens. Wherefore, fear thou, Almighty Allah, O my son, in dealing with that which I bequeath to thee, and follow none but those who will help thee to the divine favor. Not long after, he sickened and died. So his son ordered his funeral after the goodliest wise, and burying him, returned to his house, and sat mourning for him many days and nights. But behold, certain of his friends came into him, and said to him, Whoso leaveth a son like thee is not dead. Indeed, what is past is past, and fled, and mourning beseemeth none but the young maid and the wife cloistered. And they ceased not from him, till they wrought on him to enter the hammam and break off his mourning. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. End of section 20